Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Father, as we contemplate these rewards Jesus speaks of. We pray that You might give us the grace to receive You, receive those whom You have sent. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. These verses are the conclusion of chapter 10, and that means the conclusion of the missionary discourse. Jesus brings to a close this passage devoted to the mission of His apostles. Even though the words that we've just read are relatively simple and straightforward, and compared to some of the things that we've worked our way through, they're actually kind of optimistic and encouraging. The fact of the matter is, they're significant because they mark a kind of turn in the way that Jesus is speaking. If you notice, up to now, Jesus has been addressing the apostles. He's been addressing those who are being sent. But now here at the end, he switches gears and he turns to those who are what you might think of as the target audience, the ones to whom the apostles are being sent. He speaks to us. I mean, to the extent that We share the same mission as the apostles. You could say he's been speaking to us all along. And we, as we identify with the apostles, can see ourselves in everything that that has gone up to now. We make allowances and we adapt what Jesus says to our circumstances as they differ from those of the apostles. But so far, it seems as if Jesus is speaking to us. And yet, here... He's speaking to us even more directly. It's true that we share the mission of the apostles, but first and foremost, what we have in common with them is this need to hear the message that is being proclaimed. We are first and foremost the ones to whom the kingdom is being announced, who need to receive it and enter into it. But in the same way that Jesus surprises us in the kind of instruction He gives the apostles, He sends them out without a lot of how-to, without a lot of preparation on apologetics or the message. He focuses primarily on hospitality and how to deal with rejection, how to endure the things that will happen to you and to endure faithfully. Here, He does the same. He doesn't provide a set of instructions to us on how to enter the kingdom. Instead, he speaks of it as if it's the easiest thing in the world. But it's as simple as receiving those 
who are sent. Jesus told us as far back as the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that the kingdom is special in the sense that the kingdom cannot be earned. It can only be received. Here, he makes a similar point, but he makes it about the idea of rewards. It's not just the kingdom, but you might think the rewards of the kingdom. This logic applies to as well. The rewards of the kingdom are not to be earned. The rewards of the kingdom can only be received. In other words, you can't obtain the merits through your own merits, the rewards of the kingdom. You can't work your way into the kingdom. The only way to enter the kingdom is as a gift. The only way to walk through those gates is to have it given to you as a gift. And then here in these verses, just three verses, Jesus assures us that it's easy, that it's not difficult, that there is no hurdle, there is no obstacle. You don't need to be an apostle. You don't need to aspire to the office of prophet. You don't even need to be a righteous person. The path into the kingdom is not through obedience. The path into the kingdom is simply to receive it. To simply receive it. Salvation is as simple as receiving the ones that Jesus sends. There's nothing more to it than that. Think about what it is exactly that we receive when we receive the apostles and their message. Jesus enumerates the benefits. He tells us here what it is we get when we receive those that He has sent. You might imagine a moment right about now as Jesus is preparing to send the apostles out where the apostles, having heard all that He has told them, still have some lingering questions. As they're on their way, about to get on the road, you can easily imagine them turning and saying, okay, yes, but Lord, let me ask you this. What is it exactly that those who receive us will receive? As we go out and proclaim the kingdom, and people wonder, as they naturally will, what exactly do I get when I receive this message? How do we answer that question? What do you receive when you receive this apostolic foundation that we've been speaking about? And Jesus' answer to that question in the simplest terms is this, those who receive you will receive Me. Those who receive you will receive Me. Everything that you hope for, everything that you long for, the, the peace, the fulfillment that we talked about last week, the dreams that you hope to see come to reality, the promises that you hope to see fulfilled, the life that you hope to live in the life to come, all of that is yours simply by receiving Him. All of it comes to you simply because you are in Him. And you are in Him simply through receiving Him. It really is as straightforward as that. And yet, Jesus' words hint at great depth. 
There are depths here that will be elaborated on as his ministry continues, as the ministry of the apostles continues, so that things that are only hinted at here, we will see more clearly. But it gets more complex and more layered while remaining just as simple as it is at the beginning. Nothing that is added, no expansion that takes place, no increase in our understanding ever changes the fundamental simplicity of Jesus' words, that all of it is received by receiving, and nothing more than that. It is a gift that we are given. But when we receive that gift, when we receive the kingdom, what are we receiving? What is it that we are receiving when we receive Christ and those who have sent Him? Well, Jesus touches on things that will loom large as we see His revelation unfolding. One thing, for example, that we get when we receive Christ is Christ's mediation. Christ's intercession for us. He says, whoever receives you, receives Me. And whoever receives Me, receives Him who sent Me. The Westminster Divines, when they begin their seventh chapter of the Confession, the chapter on covenant, start by articulating the distance between God and man, between the Creator and the creature. There is so much distance between Him and us. There's the distance that sin has interposed. There's the distance created by our unholiness compared to His holiness. But even before sin, there was a great distance between the Creator and the creature. A distance in comprehension and understanding. A difference between infinity and finitude. A distance so vast that there's nothing we could have done from our end to close the gap. So that it was necessary, if there was to be any relationship between us, for God to do all the work. Covenant is the word for the work that God does to draw near to us, to bridge the distance. He does it in the form of promises. He establishes a relationship that we have no power to start and no power to maintain. He comes near to us and He, as it were, builds a bridge over that distance. But the bridge is not an object. The bridge is not a structure. The bridge is not ground we must now travel. The bridge is a person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ is the go-between. He is the mediator. And when you think about the words of Jesus here, it's as if a chain is being stretched over that unimaginable distance. How do we get to God? How do we enter into the presence of God? How does the sinful enter into the presence of absolute holiness? How does the finite enter into communion with the infinite? Whatever the answer to that question is, it must be difficult. It must be hard. It must involve some sort of quest, some lifelong journey of spiritual enlightenment that few could attain to. Or so it seems. Yet Jesus says, actually, it really is as simple as this. These inadequate men, this, this group of men who are barely able to articulate the message that I'm sending them out to spread, 
It's as simple as receiving them. And when you receive them, and you believe in what they say, you receive Me. But it's more than that. When you receive Me, you receive the One who sent Me, the Father. All that distance that seems uncrossable is spanned as simple as that. An unbreakable chain of receiving. He initiates and we receive that relationship by receiving those whom He has sent to us. And now Jesus is our mediator. He's our go-between. He's the One who brings us to the Father. Who represents us before the Father. He speaks for us before the throne of God. Imagine if you could go out into the world and, and you could assure people that there is a way that you can know that your interests are being represented before the throne of God. Like, I have this way that whatever you're concerned about, whatever you care about, whatever you cherish, whatever your fear and anxiety is, I could actually get you before God. Like, not the mayor, not the president. I could get the God of the universe to listen. Imagine what people would do for that. To know that, that my voice is heard by the Creator of all things. And yet Jesus gives it freely. Jesus says, you have it. Just receive those I send and you receive Me. And if you receive Me, you receive Him. If you're in them, you're in Me. And if you're in Me, you're in Him. And you actually have the thing that people would sacrifice anything if they could only know they could obtain. You possess it. And it was as easy as receiving. We receive Christ as our mediator, as our representative. It's as simple as receiving the message of the Kingdom. But there's something more that he alludes to here. Something also profound. Something that will come into greater focus later on. Which is something to do with His righteousness and how His righteousness is counted to His people. What theologians would call the imputation of Christ's righteousness. He says this, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. In the Old Testament, prophets like Elijah and Elisha endured hardship. They were persecuted. They went through things very much like what the apostles were guaranteed and what those who follow in their footsteps are guaranteed. But Elijah and Elisha also received hospitality. There were people who received them, who sheltered them, who provided for them, and they were often people in the worst position to extend that kind of comfort to these persecuted men. They were in no position to give the reception that they gave, but they were rewarded for it. What they received when they received the prophets was God's providential care, God's overflowing blessings. When the prophet was under their roof, like they lived like prophets. God 
took care of them the way he took care of his prophets. They received, as it were, a prophet's reward. But you know what? They didn't become prophets. It wasn't that as the prophets dwelled with them and they received them, some some prophetism rubbed off. They started thinking and acting like prophets. And the more they did prophet things, the more of a prophet's reward they received. No. They were blessed the way the prophets were blessed simply for receiving the prophets, not for doing prophet stuff. That's what Jesus is alluding to here. When we think of receiving rewards, rewards are earned. You're rewarded for things that you do, and if you want rewards, you should live your life according to the pattern that is rewarded. But interestingly, the rewards of the kingdom that Jesus is alluding to here aren't received through obedience. These are awards that are received by receiving alone. Now, the apostles are prophetic messengers. They carry a message of righteousness. Jesus is saying you can receive the reward of a prophet. You can receive the reward of a righteous person. How? Not by being one. Not by becoming a prophet. Not by becoming a righteous person, but by receiving them. This is made very clear in Romans 5 as Paul speaks of the work of Jesus, that Jesus' righteousness, that His prophetic mission, that Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king, all that He does in His varied offices, all of that is imputed to His people by faith. Imputed, in other words, counted as theirs. Credited to them. Given to them as a gift, even though they didn't earn it, they did no work, in order to obtain it. It's simply been credited to them. This happens, Jesus says, simply by receiving. You receive the prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. If you receive the righteous man, you receive his reward. You get all the blessings that he has earned. But you don't have to earn them. You can't earn them. There's no way you could obtain these rewards on your own. They can only be received and never earned. And yet, they are more secure than any reward for any action you will ever perform. Jesus says this is a secure reward. He says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Just as we serve Jesus by serving the people He will call later in Matthew 25, the least of these, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto Me. People who receive, who show hospitality to the little ones He is sending out, His disciples, who are like children, not just in their faith, but in their capability. People who do that will receive Him. And when they receive Him, they will by no means lose Him. The rewards they receive will not be lost. He says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, even this, even so little as that, the slightest show of hospitality, doesn't take them in, doesn't give them the guest room, doesn't, you know, 
to here, live here as long as you need, just gives him a cup of cold water, as trivial a reception as that, and the reward is utterly secure. Something as effortless as receiving secures a reward which cannot be lost. And Jesus reinforces this sense of security with this formula of words that prefaces it. Truly I say to you, Truly, I say to you. Anytime in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, whatever comes after that is, is especially certain. These are words meant to convey the absolute reliability of what they introduce. The security of the reward is the thing that Jesus brackets with that qualifier. That it is absolutely secure. Ordinarily, we tend to think things are more secure in relation to the amount of work that went into them. Easy come, easy go. If you didn't do much to get it, you will easily lose it. But if you did a lot to get it, then that is yours. That is not the way the economy of grace works at all. The work that secures the reward is His, not ours. When we receive it, It is ours with certainty, as if the most perfect worker of all time had worked to secure it, because he did. We need to distinguish between what we do and what Christ does in and through us. If we think about our own actions, it's important to separate those things. And if we do that, I think this passage lends itself to a simple pastoral application. Right? When we think about the kingdom all too often, we start thinking about stuff we do, not stuff Christ does. But as far as the kingdom is concerned, we receive the kingdom. We enter the kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom. But it's Christ who establishes the kingdom, who builds the kingdom, who defends the kingdom. Sometimes He does things like that through us. But when you think about yourself and what you contribute, it helps to focus on your actions as receiving and responding, not earning and doing. It helps in a number of ways. First of all, I think this is a good antidote to guilt. People who know they are receivers, not earners, can let go of the guilt that comes from what we've done or what we've left undone. I understand that guilt is a powerful motivator, and that's why leaders have a hard time letting go of guilt. Whenever you need something to be done, when it's absolutely necessary that some responsibility be taken, guilt is the easiest way to get there. If we have a volunteer roster to fill, and there are gaps in the list, I know as a pastor the easiest way to get volunteers is to apply the thumbscrews of guilt. However, making people feel bad while it may be the easiest way to get things done, is not the best way or the right way to get things done. Because guilt is not just a powerful motivator, it's also a powerful inhibitor as well. When it comes to discipleship, guilt prevents much more than guilt accomplishes. The Gospel doesn't motivate us through guilt. The Gospel motivates us through freedom from guilt. It is freedom from guilt that is the rationale for all that we do in response to the Gospel. 
And receiving that freedom is more important than anything you can do for Jesus. There is nothing you can do for His kingdom that is more important than receiving freedom from the guilt that you feel for what you have done and what you have not done. You are a receiver of God's grace, not a doer. Remember that. Be free of your guilt. Secondly, by knowing yourself as a receiver, you benefit by getting an attitude adjustment. Now that's a phrase I hate, because that's a phrase my dad always used, usually with the crack of a belt. It is time for an attitude adjustment, young man. And I didn't like having my attitude adjusted. As far as I was concerned, it was just right. And yet, the phrase I think is very apt. Because receivers of the kingdom can walk in joy and gratitude for the gift of the kingdom. They don't have to walk in anger or anxiety about the progress of the kingdom. That's a big difference. If you receive the kingdom, then you can walk with lightness, with joy because of that gift. You don't have to walk in anger because you're worried about the progress of the kingdom. And that lets you off the hook. When people are free, and yet they live as if they are still in bondage, whether it's bondage to sin or bondage to fear, they conceal one of the most important and powerful incentives to receiving the kingdom. Because anger and anxiety are like weeds. When you focus on Christ, you pull those weeds up. But when you focus on yourself, you let the garden go. And those weeds grow up everywhere. When you make the kingdom of God, about your efforts, rather than about Him, your garden turns into a nest of weeds. That's how you get the irony of people who proclaim to have freedom in Christ, but they proclaim it angrily and fearfully as if they think it can be taken away. As if they think that what they've received might be lost. As if they think that the kingdom that Christ has established may not actually endure. They profess one thing with their lips and something else with their lives. But you don't need to do that. Because you are incapable of judging. You cannot judge the progress of Christ's kingdom. You can't take its temperature. You can't tell whether or not what he's doing is working or not. Whether it's going backwards or forwards. You're in no position to understand what he's doing. You're only in a position to rejoice in it. Your lifelong calling as a disciple is to rejoice in the gift of Christ's kingdom. Not to worry about whether or not it's progressing. Focus on what He's given you and what He's doing all around you. There's one other benefit, though, to focusing on yourself as a receiver and knowing that you are receiving the kingdom, nothing more. This becomes a guard for us against self-righteousness. Receivers should point to what they've received rather than to what they have earned. When we point to the kingdom, let's do it as those who've received the kingdom as a gift not as people who have worked our way into it. And the apostles would have internalized this lesson just by virtue of being sent out in their weakness. The less that they trusted in themselves, the more they had to trust in Christ. 
The more they saw their powerlessness, the more they needed to rely on His power. They would have realized that they were not givers of grace. That they were receivers of grace. That Jesus hadn't sent them out to hand out and dispense the good things. Jesus had sent them out to testify to the good things they had received so that others might receive them. Forever after that, that's what Jesus has done. That's been His strategy. He doesn't send out givers. He sends out receivers. He sends out receivers who don't give the gifts. They get them and they point others to the One who gives them. To Jesus, who is our gift giver. Now, if anger and fear are weeds, self-righteousness is a blight. Self-righteousness is like locusts that eat up every fruit of the Spirit, that gobble up the message of grace. The moment you start believing you deserve this, the moment you start acting as if you've earned it, your life starts proclaiming what you really believe. Whatever you say, the Gospel your life preaches is one of self-righteousness. And whoever hears that message is led astray by it. So remember that like the apostles, you're one of these little ones, as Jesus says. You live in the light of what you've received, not what you've earned. Live in the light of the gift that He's given you. Receive from the apostles what they received from Christ. It's interesting, when we come to the table, the words that I speak at the table come from various sources in Scripture, primarily from words of Paul that you find in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul is giving instruction to the believers in Corinth how to come to the table appropriately. Listen to how he begins his instruction to them. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those words ought to be very familiar because they're repeated more or less every Sunday. Not exactly the same, but more or less, paraphrase, you'll hear something along those lines and more besides from that chapter. But I'm not just cribbing the words of Paul when we come to the table. I'm doing the thing that he did. That he introduces in his preface to those words when he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He's saying something really similar to what Jesus says. I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Those who receive them receive me, and those who receive me receive him. It's the same idea. What the apostles do is they receive what is given to them, and then they deliver what is given so that you might receive it too. That's the chain. That's the bridging of the distance. That's what the apostles do and what we who follow them do. It's what I try to do here every Sunday. 
Just as I received the apostles' teaching and entered into Christ, and by entering into Christ received the Father, I now call on you to do the same thing. To receive the Father's promises by receiving Christ as He is proclaimed by the apostles here in God's Word. You don't need to do anything to ready yourself, to prepare yourself in order to make a decision. You just need to receive it. There is nothing you can do to prepare yourself. There is no way that you can be ready. You don't need to be just receive what has been sent to you. You hear the kingdom being proclaimed, simply receive it. There's nothing more. This is the gift that He gives us. No one here has done anything to earn it. No one here deserves what He has given us. But He has given it to us and He calls you to receive it as well. We have received it. We have received Him. And if you haven't, it really is as simple as Jesus says it is. Receive this message. You are in Him. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.